Good morning, good morning, good morning. We are starting a new series this morning, Alive Again. It's going to be the series that takes us into Easter. And so there's a season before Easter for 40 days, excluding Sundays, that the Christian church observes. It's called Lent. And Lent is a time where we really um, focus on renewing our lives and our hearts um, as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection, the new thing that God is doing. Because we know that the resurrection wasn't just this happy event that happened 2,000 years ago. It is something that God is continuing to do in our lives and in our world today. And so we spent four or five weeks learning about dangerous prayers that we could pray. We prayed that God would search our hearts, right? We prayed that God would break our hearts for what breaks his. We prayed that God would send us out. And last week we learned about the most dangerous prayer that there's ever been the Lord's Prayer. I hope some of you took that challenge last week and prayed it every day last week as we we just really like let God um, begin to change us through our prayer lives. And this week we're starting a new series that will lead us up to Easter. It's called Alive Again. And it's where we're going to really look at what it is Jesus offers to us in this season of Easter where we celebrate the new things that God is doing. And so today we're going to look at a, a few verses in Matthew chapter Chapter 25. So there are only, um, hold on, let me check here. There are only 28 chapters in Matthew, and the last three chapters, 26, 27, and 28, talk about the death, resurrection, and mission of Jesus, those last three chapters. So what we're going to look at is sort of the very last thing that Jesus says before he walks into the hardest week of his entire life where he's arrested and put on the cross and all these things. We're going to look at what is the last thing he's told his closest friends and followers right before that moment. And the reason we're going to do that is because I don't know about any of you, but lately in my life, I feel like things have been a little ambiguous. Right? Like, I don't exactly know what's next. Things don't fear, feel super clear. Um, I, I don't know if the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship, but I'm really clear that we beat Duke last night, and I'm really excited about it. Um, yes, thank you for some woos back there this morning. I'm not going to even apologize for wearing a Carolina jersey this morning. Y'all might see it for a long time, um, I hope. Uh, anyway, I, there are moments in our lives, right, where things just aren't really clear. And, and I, as I've been thinking about Carolina playing, actually, in the tournament and making this run for the national championship, and I've watched Hubert Davis, their head coach, coach them, I've actually thought about a time in my life when I was a senior in college, and I was really ambiguous about the purpose God had created me for. I wasn't exactly sure what was next. I was studying to be a teacher. I had told people since I was in second grade that I was going to be a public school teacher. And this, I was student teaching, and things were like just, I don't know, it, it didn't necessarily feel like exactly what I was supposed to be doing with the rest of my life. Things were a little ambiguous and unclear. And I started to make other things in my life ambiguous and unclear, right? I wasn't always doing the things that I knew were right, that, they were, that I was supposed to do, even if they were hard, right? Like, sometimes it's just easier to do the things that, that, I'm not, that aren't real clear, that I'm not real sure about, to, to just sort of live into ambiguity. I was kind of doing that thing in my life. And this ESPN commentator, Hubert Davis, was going to speak on a Thursday night to an auditorium full of, um, of 
Christian student. And I, I was kind of going to church, but it wasn't really my thing. But what I really wanted was to go see Hubert Davis because it was February. My stepdad's birthday was later that weekend. I didn't have a gift for him. So I, took a, I went and bought a cheap Carolina coffee mug and asked Hubert Davis to sign it after <laughs> he talked. And that's why I was there. But anyway, I was sitting in that auditorium listening to Hubert Davis talk. And I remember him just like he was last night in the game, like coaching us sort of. And I'll never forget, he was like, if you are living your life in sort of this state of ambiguity and uncertainty, you cannot live with power. If you want to live with power, get really clear about God's purpose for your life and chase after it with everything you have. And I sat there in silence for a minute. If you want to live your life with power, if you are sick and tired of going through the motions, and I was, it wasn't working for me, but I had no idea what to do next, get really clear about God's purpose for you. That's how you live with purpose. And and I say that, and Hubert Davis said that, and he got it from story after story after story in the Bible. Because when we live with ambiguity, research proves this. Ambiguity is a confusion about your purpose. It creates confusion about your purpose. Ambiguity increases your focus on problems. When you're not real clear about your purpose and what you're supposed to be doing, it gets really easy to just start focusing on all your problems. My bank account, my marriage, my children, all of these things, my my car, my job, all of these things are the problems in my life. And when we're not clear about the purpose God has for us, ambiguity increases our focus on our problems. We start letting our problems dominate our lives, and we live without really knowing what the next thing is. Ambiguity makes us think about our problem, our medical diagnosis, our our future retirement plan, our, our next career move. When we're not really clear about our purpose and what we're doing, we just sort of start focusing on all the problems around us. Ambiguity increases our grasping for control, right? If you feel like you like, have no control over your life and you want all of the control and you're like sitting here and your shoulders are tight and your jaws are tight and your brain's tight and you feel stressed, it's because ambiguity about your purpose increases your need to grasp for control all around you and you're going to live your life stressed out and anxious. Ambiguity increases micromanaging. If you feel like you need to tell your spouse or your kids, or your friends, or your boss, or the people you work with, if you need to tell them everything to do, if you are micromanaging everything and everybody around you, it might be because you're not really clear about your purpose and the future. If you want to live again, if you want to be alive again, if you want to quit living through the motions of your lives, I think we got to take Hubert Davis's advice. I think we've got to start living with power and be really clear about God's purpose for our lives. Because here's the deal. Clarity means it's clear and easy to understand. If somebody says, hey, what's your purpose? You can tell them in a sentence. And I'm going to tell you in just a minute how Jesus has offered that to us. 
If, you want, if you're ready to be able to tell somebody really clear and easy to understand one sentence about your purpose, today you are in the right place because Jesus is ready to offer us clarity. Clarity increases your focus on your purpose. So you're not focusing on all the problems around you. You are focusing on the purpose God has for you. And it, it, you go from looking all beside you to all the problems around you, and you start to focus on the thing ahead. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean the path is rosy and peachy. It means you know where you're headed and what you're going to do no matter what. Clarity increases empowerment. People around you are not going to feel like you're micromanaging or controlling them. They're going to feel encouraged and inspired to shine light and ignite change with you in the world. Clarity increases empowerment. If you're ready for your kids to feel like they have purpose, get clear about God's purpose for you. If you're ready for the people that you work with to get really clear about the good things your business can do in the community, get really clear about your purpose that God has for you because clarity increases trust and commitment. If you feel like things aren't trustworthy, if you feel like no one's committed to moving things ahead right now, increase your trust and commitment by being really clear about the purpose that God has for you. And if you're ready to stand up here like Julie and Megan and Shelly and Mike and Abby, and you're ready to sing, God is healing me. God is rooting the ambiguous things out of my life, and he's making me new. If you are ready to sing that, then it is time to get really clear about your purpose because clarity increases your confidence to be able to do this. God wants confident people who are empowering people around them. That's what God wants for those of you in these seats. And and Jesus is going to teach us that this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 25, I want you to know that for 25 chapters, Matthew has told us stories about Jesus telling parables, which are these stories Jesus tells us about how things are and about the kingdom. And they're not always super clear, but they help us to begin to think different, right? Jesus tells us about all these times that Jesus has healed these folks who are blind or, or hurt or sick or whatever. G Matthew's told us all these stories about them. Matthew wrote down a sermon that takes two chapters. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus stood up and taught people just like us who are living lives that feel ambiguous and unclear, he stood up in front of them and he said, these are some things you need, to you need to do. Quit worrying so much. If you want to be happy, be meek and kind and compassionate and patient and honest. You've heard it said that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you, live a different way. Jesus has spent 23 chapters being as clear as he can about what it looks like to have a purpose for Jesus. And this is the last words of Jesus that Matthew tells us before, there, he, un, un, before he unveils the plan of Jesus being betrayed and arrested and crucified. These are the last words. I want you all to listen with, the, with these words, um, with me to these words. When this, I'm going to read from the screen instead of my tiny Bible. <laughs> when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. Jesus is the Son of Man. In the, all the nations, all the nations will be gathered before him. Every single person in the entire world is going to gather before him. And he's going to se separate people, one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep 
on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. We're going to inherit a kingdom that's been here since the creation of the world. And this is why. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous are going to answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. If you want to get really clear about your purpose, what I think God is saying through Jesus to us in these scriptures is really clear. Faithfulness to God means you are patient with people. You are patient and merciful with people, not with problems. You are patient and merciful for people. If you see them hungry, you feed them. And you're patient and you're merciful with them. We don't ask them why they're hungry or why they don't have food. We feed them. But we are not patient with the problem. We are not patient with the problem of people needing food. When we see them sick, we don't say, what have you done to deserve this sickness or this illness or this, this thing you're experiencing right now? We are patient and merciful with them. We sit with them and we love them. We feed them food and we do what we can to care for them. When we go to visit them in prison, we don't say, what was your crime? We are patient and merciful with people, but not with problems. That's your purpose. Jesus was really clear. It's the last thing he said. He knew he was headed. He knew what kind of week he was headed into. And he looks at his closest friends and his followers, and he said, if you want to be faithful to me, be patient and merciful with people, but not with problems. Not with problems. Because when you're focusing on being patient and merciful with people, that's the purpose that you're chasing after. And you're not focused so much on all the problems, and they begin to really be, just as we sang, rooted out of our lives and out of our world. Jesus is clear about what faithfulness means. It means you're patient and merciful with people, and not just with people who are in need. Who needs to be a little more patient and merciful with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with your friends, with your boss, with the people you work with? You can shine light and ignite change this week by being patient and merciful with people while not ignoring or being patient with problems. Faithfulness to God is open for everyone. Everyone. It's an option for everyone. Faithfulness to God is an option for everyone. 
Because when Jesus said this, he says, all the nations are going to be in front of me. Every single one of you have a chance right now to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to visit the prison, those in prison, to give the stranger a home. Every single one of you have that opportunity. Faithfulness is an option for everyone. If you're sitting here today and you're like, you don't understand, God can't use me. No, God says every single person in every single nation, every corner of this world will sit before God because everybody has an option to be faithful to the purpose, to be patient and merciful with people, but not with problems. You have the opportunity right now to be faithful to God. This option is open for everyone. You're not excluded. You're not excluded. You're not excluded. And the people out there and beyond these walls aren't excluded. It is an option for everyone. Right now, right now, you are either rejecting God's grace, you are rejecting the opportunities to be patient and merciful with people, you are rejecting the opportunity to live into the purpose God has given for you, you are rejecting the grace of God to, to powerfully transform you and make you new. You are either rejecting that grace or you are being transformed by it. That's what faithfulness means. You open your eyes to God's grace and what God wants to do different and new in your life or will you reject it? That Thursday night that I listened to Hubert Davis coach a bunch of Carolina students and to get clear about our purpose, I had a choice when I left there. I had a choice. I could reject God's grace and pretend like God didn't have Hubert Davis stand in front of me and ask me the question if I was really clear about God's purpose for my life or if I was just messing around with it and being ambiguous with it or I could be transformed by it. God was making my heart and my life new. You have that opportunity right now. And I think so often we make it so, so spiritual and we don't really think about it. But no, right now, in this moment, right in front of you, you have a moment to accept that grace and be transformed by it or to reject it and deny it and miss out on the power that you can have being clear about your purpose. Faithfulness to God means more than minimal effort. Faithfulness to God means more than minimal effort. When he sits those folks in front of him, he says, you did this for the least of these. No one was looking. No one was watching. No one would know what you would do. You did this for the least of these. You went above and beyond because faithfulness to God means more than minimal effort. If you're putting in just the minimal effort in everything you're doing, it's because there's a lack of clarity about your purpose. And we've already known, we already hear this. God has a purpose for every single one of us in this room. No exclusions, no comments, questions, or concerns. Everybody has the option to be faithful. And it requires more than minimal effort. It's every day. Accepting God's grace means something new or different is done in our lives. And people will start to recognize it. I just went and told Gretchen. I was like, your sister's up there singing. This is awesome. Every single day, you're going to step into something a little bit more to accept God's grace and be transformed by it because it's going to require more than minimal effort. What's the next thing God's asking you to do as you've gotten clear about your purpose? Because at the end of the day, it really isn't about your effort. 
Is it, it isn't about you showing up and giving 110%. It's not about your effort. It's about your heart. You give more than minimal effort when your heart's in it. If your body shows up to a workout or to a basketball game, if just your body and your mind show up, I can tell you what's going to happen in the final four. You're going to go home. But if you show up with your heart 100% in it, you go home with victory. That's what God is saying through Jesus Christ in these words to us this morning. God doesn't care as much about our effort. It's going to take more effort, but it's because God's doing something in our heart. God is making us alive and passionate about life again because we have clarity of purpose. That does not mean life is easy. You are going to sweat. It is going to be hard work. There's going to be moments where it's easier to just go home and do the easy thing instead of the right and hard thing. There's going to be those moments in your life where that's it. But it's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's not about your effort. Effort falls into place when your heart is where it needs to be. And finally, faithfulness to God means you are bold and courageous with what God has given you. What has God given you? What has God given to you? And if you sit there and say, God's given me nothing and I'm just a waste of, of life, there's nothing I can offer, that is not true. We've already cleared that up. Faithfulness isn't an option. You've been given a purpose. It's time to be faithful to it. What gifts has God given to you? Teaching, serving, leading, feeding, prison ministry, tutoring, selling people houses, your business doing incredible things in Tampa, what gifts has God given to you? It's time to be bold and courageous with them. You don't just show up and visit somebody in prison because you're, you're mediocre, just, or mediocre, like whatever. You don't just show up with minimal effort to visit someone in prison. You don't give someone who's thirsty and dehydrated a glass of water because it's the minimal that you can do. You give it to them because you're bold and courageous with the water bottle in your backpack. What gift has God given to you? It's time to be bold and courageous with it. It's time to be bold and courageous with it because there's a thirsty, hungry, sick, imprisoned, strange world out there desperate for God's love to be made known through your hands and feet. Through your hands and feet. God has a purpose for you. Be patient with people but not with the problems. If your heart is breaking right now about prison and mass incarceration, I hope you're doing something about it. If your heart breaks for seeing homeless people on the streets, I hope you're thinking about how we're working against housing. If if your heart's breaking because there's not enough food in the right places for for people to have, I hope your heart is breaking about it. If your heart is broken about the the state of schools and the way kids are are being educated, I hope you can hear God say, be patient and merciful with the people in those schools. Be patient and merciful with the people on the side of the street. Be patient and merciful with your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or your uncle or your aunt or your best friend who hurt you last week. Be patient and merciful with them. But quit being patient with problems. If they're hurting or doing something wrong, be honest. God's grace transforms us. Transforms us and makes us new. And life is too short to keep rejecting that grace. It is time we are patient with people, but not with the problems. And finally, Jesus 
says to us in Matthew 25 at the end, he says, your faithfulness will be rewarded. You're going to experience God's creation and dream for the world in a way like we've never experienced life before. We have the opportunity this morning to be alive again. I want to tell you just a really, really quick story. There's a friend of mine, Scott Miller. He's a professor at the University of Tampa. I met with him to have coffee three or four years ago. And Scott tells me this story about playing basketball in, in high school, and then he got recruited. Him and his best friend um, played together. His best friend's name was Sean Patterson. They went, to, they went to high school together. They played together in college. They were best friends forever. Sean, uh, Scott really didn't have a brother or a family that was super involved, so Sean was like his brother, he told me. And, and they played together, and his mo- Sean's mom sort of took Scott in as, as her own and, and loved her. And Scott felt God calling him, asking him to go and to be a professor, so he knew he had to get his master's and his Ph.D., and he, he, for the first time in six years, was going to leave Sean's side. They weren't going to be roommates and teammates and all that together. Things weren't going great in the Ph.D. program. In fact, Scott calls Sean one night and he says, I think I'm going to quit. And Sean's like, don't quit. Don't quit. You were really clear about your purpose, about what God had asked you to do. Don't quit, Scott. Later that night, Sean was killed by gunfire in a random act of violence in L.A. Scott's next phone call was from Sean's mom, that his best friend, who just told him not to dare quit, had been shot and killed by a random act of violence in L.A. And Scott looks at me and he tells me, I could live the rest of my life. It was hard. He said it was really hard. I could live the rest of my life completely and totally angry about that, or we could start to do something different. He said he applied himself like he'd never applied himself to schoolwork before. And he started to, to ace things and, and, and work on that Ph.D. And he's now, he, had, he had a Ph.D. He went to Pepperdine University to teach. And Sean's mom and Scott started a community center in L.A. for young men in California for young men so that we could start to root out the problems while being patient and merciful with young men who needed a place to belong and to believe. He started the Sean Patterson Memorial Basketball Camp where kids could play together as a team and and start to do things together. And then a few years ago he moved to Tampa and has continued to expand that program even into our city. The Sean Patterson Memorial Camp happens every summer at the Dream Center in Ybor City because someone decided to be really clear about their purpose. It doesn't mean he wasn't hurt. It doesn't mean he doesn't grieve. He he thinks about Sean every day. He says, he's my best friend, and I miss him terribly. But I have a choice. I can live my life focusing on all the problems around me, or we could focus on the clarity of purpose that God had given. And he decided to be patient with young men and, and, and with the people around him to be patient and merciful, but not to be patient with the problems that were causing these young men to do things they, they should not do. Here's the deal. I think all of us have a calling like that. I believe God is asking some of you this morning to take that next step into your purpose. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I pray this morning for each person here. I pray for those who, it's been a really long time 
God, since they were undone by your mercy and goodness that you offered them. And I pray they, they just feel your grace and mercy undo their shame and their pain. I pray, God, you'll make their purpose super clear. And I pray, God, this morning for those who have just been going through the motions of their lives and of their Christian lives, God, that their next step will be a bold and courageous one with clarity of purpose, that they'll live their lives with power. And I pray most of all, God, that you will use all of us together to feed the hungry, care for the sick, love the poor, and care for the stranger. Use us, God. Transform our hearts and let our effort follow, that your light may shine brightly and your change be ignited in this place.